What's up, Eaton Lake? <laughs> Me too. I'm happy to be here also. It sounds like you guys are uh, ready to do this thing. My name's Darren. That's not important, but it's nice to see you all, and uh, I'm excited to be opening God's Word with you this week, especially with this theme. It's going to be fun. A uh, little bit about me, or actually just a little bit of a setup for the week. So I'm here this week with my wife. You'll see us walking around. Her name's Shannon. We've been married for 26 years. We got, uh, we, we got three cute kids, four kids total, you know? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so we had four kids, one of them, not so cute. I won't tell you which one. You can figure it out. Uh, a couple of my kiddos are actually in camp this week, so they're, uh, they're high school students. I live in Fullerton and work at Fullerton Free Church, which is up here this week. So. so if you've ever thought, like, how weird would it be to be at camp and your dad be the speaker, that's happening to my kids this week. Kind of strange. But what are you going to do? They'll put up with it, and they'll probably regret it later, and that's okay. Uh, here's what I want you to know about me as I'm walking around. I didn't come up to Hume this, this week for vacation, right? I'm going to get vacation in the fall. I'm going to go on a little trip then. Here, this week, I'm here for you. That's why I came. So I brought a couple of books, and I'll read them if I don't have the opportunity to chat with you, but I would rather chat with you than read my books. Does that make sense? So you'll see me out every day, uh, kind of right after lunch. I'm going to be sitting out on a picnic table over there by the sand volleyball courts, right? Like between the snack shop and here. And I'm only chilling out there to have conversations with you. If you have questions about the stuff I'm teaching or questions about something else entirely, or you want to talk about video games, you want to talk about indie rock, you want to talk about whatever, those are the things I care about, uh, come, come and say hello. If, especially if you've got a favorite band that you think I haven't heard of, I would like to know about that. So come and tell me, and uh, I'll, I'll write it down, and I'll listen to it later. That's interesting to me. But I'm sitting out there essentially for you. So if you see me out there and I'm reading, don't think like, oh, that dude wants to read his book. He's relaxing. I'll relax another week. That's not what I'm here for this week. This week I'm here for you. Come and say hello. Uh, if you've got questions, maybe you'll hear me teach something and you'll be like, that sucks or I don't think that guy's right or whatever. Let's talk about it. I, I, I want to have a dot. I'm not right about everything. That's for sure, right? I got flaws. I make mistakes. I got biases, all that stuff. So let's, let's hash it out, right? Come and say hey. But even if you don't have a question or a concern or whatever, even if you just want to like I don't know, eat a candy bar sitting with somebody else. Come hang. I don't, I'm, I'd like to get to know you. That's what I'm saying. So you'll see me out there. Come say hello. I use the Bible a lot. Sarah did a great job of setting that up last night to say, like, if you don't have a Bible, we want you to have one. I saw a bunch of you grabbed them last night. But bring them because we're going to use them. And this theme is about truth. And we're going to need the Bible to establish what we're talking about. And I thought the video did a great job, too, of kind of prompting some questions for us. So I want to go back this morning to a, a, a passage that's kind of the theme or the heart of our, of our whole week. And it's this, this moment with Pilate, who was uh, the leader on behalf of Rome. He was the leader of Jerusalem at the time. Jesus is before him because the Jewish leaders have requested that Jesus be put to death, right? The Jewish leaders didn't like Jesus because he was a threat to their way of doing things. He was a threat to their system and the way they saw the Bible and all these other things. So they bring him before Pilate, and Pilate questions him, but Pilate finds him essentially harmless, right? Pilate's like, I don't think this guy's done anything worthy of death. But in the course of a conversation with Pilate, who's the Roman leader, uh, and we read this last night, but I want, you to, I want you to listen to it again with me, and you can turn there if you want. In John 18, Pilate says to Jesus in the midst of this questioning in verse 37, so you are a king, right? He's trying to establish, is the guy sitting in front of me crazy like, is, does he have delusions of grandeur? Like, he thinks he's the king, or is he some kind of a king? Like, what's the deal with Jesus? Pilate's trying to figure out who Jesus is. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Just soak that up for a second. 
Jesus says to Pilate, here's, here's what I'm doing here, right? Have you ever thought to yourself, like, why did Jesus come to the earth, right? You might have a lot of different answers for that, right? There are some people who think about Jesus like they think about Abraham Lincoln, like he's a good guy who gave some good speeches and helped some people and then got killed, right? But Jesus himself, out of his own mouth, says, here's why I was born. This is why I came to the earth. I came to bear witness to the truth. This is what I'm doing here. So when you're trying to establish why Jesus, right? If you ever ask yourself that question, well, let him answer it himself. He says, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Now, it's interesting that into the world, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. Note here that Jesus doesn't just say he was born. He says he's come into the world. That speaks a little bit of his eternal nature, right? But he says, I've come to bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Okay, I like that speech, right? Jesus kind of clarifies what he's doing. And then, here's the, here's the part we looked at last night too. Pilate said in verse 38, what is truth? And before you judge Pilate, because I think it's easy for us to be like, well, that guy had Jesus in front of him and he missed him. What a knucklehead. He he doesn't know what he's doing. Like, I get it, right? I get why Pilate asked this question. And I bet you get it too, right? I bet that if you were in Pilate's shoes and you had Jewish leaders barking at you and you had Roman people barking at you and you had all kinds of governmental and political things to deal with, you had a leader in the Caesar who had declared himself God on earth and yet you knew enough about the inner workings of Rome to know that guy was no God and yet he says that's the truth. When Jesus lands in front of you and he says, well, I've come here, I've come to the earth to bear witness to the truth, I think you and I would ask the same question. I think we'd be like, yeah, what kind of truth are you talking about, right? Are you mental? You lost a little bit in your head? Like, are you, are you a radical? Are you a religious leader? Like, what's the deal with you? He says, I've come to teach the truth or to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate goes, uh, I'm not sure we, we agree on what truth is, right? What is truth? And if you're living in the same world I am, and I know you are, you're feeling this today, right? We live in a world where, man, truth, truth can kind of be anything to anybody. And it gets hard to know who you can trust. It gets hard to know who you can believe. We've just come through some crazy years where, like, one moment, one thing is deadly, and the next moment, something else is deadly. And some of us have friends who died, right, in the last couple of years, so we're thinking about our own mortality. We don't know whether to wear a mask or take a mask off. Can we be in a tight circle? Do we have to be outside? Does it need to be hot or cold? Can we get it off a surface? Can we get it in the air? Like, uh, what is the truth? And even the scientists didn't know half the time, or they knew one thing one day and they knew something else the next day. We live in a, in a world of constantly shifting truth in some way. So man, if you're not already asking yourself this question, what is truth? I, I don't know where you've been. Politics make us ask this question. Organized religion makes us ask this question because you can look at organized religious leaders historically and around the world, and if you're not going like, is that real? Is that good? Is that bad? I don't know where you've been, right? We all should be asking the question, like, what is truth? Because the foundation has been eroded out from underneath us, even in our own lives. Like, I remember a time when uh, I was sitting with my daughter. She was little, my daughter Lily, on a couch, and uh, she was just like a little thing. She's like four years old or five. And we're sitting together. We're having one of those sweet, like, daddy-daughter moments, you know? And I looked at her, and I said, Lily, girl, I love you, you know? And she goes, Daddy, I love you. And I was like, oh. She goes, Daddy, I love you more than anything in the world. And I was like, oh, sweetheart, I love you more than anything in the world. She goes, no, Daddy, I love you all the way around the universe and back. And I was like, sweet girl, I love you all the way around the universe and back. And she goes, Daddy, will you marry me? <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay, it just got a little creepy. You know, like we, t- we crossed the line. It turned a corner. And so 
I'm trying to figure out exactly what to do. And I said, oh, sweetheart, I love you more than anything in the world, right? But like, um, daddies and daughters don't get married, at least not in this state. And so that, that's like, <laughs> that's not a thing we can rock, right? So, uh, so, but here's the thing, like, you know what? I'm already married to mommy and I love mommy and we're going to be married forever. God only wants mommy and daddy to have one husband and wife, you know? So, so the thing is like, but, but you're going to grow up and you're going to meet somebody wonderful and you'll fall in love with him and, and we'll be, we'll love him too. And he'll be a part of our family and we'll all be one big family someday when you get married. And you guys, I say this to her and her lip starts to quiver and her eyes fill up with tears and she goes, you don't love me. <laughs> and I was like, no, I do. I really do. I love you, but I, we just can't. We can't. And she goes, if you love me, you would marry me. And I was like, no, I, that just is. And you guys, I didn't know what to do. So as a dad, like sometimes you just try and get out of the situation, right? So I was like, look, you're too young to be married anyway. So, uh, you know, we'll, let, we'll just, let's wait until you're like 21, and then we'll talk about it then. Because I figure by the time she's 16 or 17, she won't even like me, right? So we'll just put it off till later. And she's like, okay, we'll talk about it later. She gets up and she walks away. And uh, that seemed like I solved it. But then I thought, what if she circles back to my wife and tells my wife, hey, dad says when I turn 21, I'm going to be his wife too. That wouldn't be good, you know? So, so I went to my wife and I said, hey, just so you know, I had a weird conversation with Lily. We were articulating our love for one another. She asked me to marry her. I didn't know what to do. I told her we'd talk about it later, but I don't plan to marry her, right? My wife goes, uh, no problem. I'll talk to her. So my wife goes into Lily's room the next day, right? And sits down with her on the floor. She's like playing with dolls or whatever. My wife goes in her room and she sits down. She says, I heard you talk to daddy yesterday about getting married. And Lily goes, yeah, daddy says when I'm older that we can get married. And my wife goes, well, she goes, just so you know, um, daddy is already married to mommy and he's only ever going to be married to mommy. And someday you'll meet, she kind of told her the same thing. Someday you'll meet a man and you'll fall in love with him and he'll be a part of our family and it will all be really wonderful. We'll all be a family together, right? And uh, Lily, four years old, whatever, she looks at my wife and she goes, oh, mommy, don't worry. I was just trying to get dad to buy me a gold ring. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 let that soak in, y'all. Just like soak that up. The, the quivering lip and the actual tears, all of that was my five-year-old, four-year-old daughter working me for jewelry. That's what that was. It was like manipulation at its core from the time she was a teeny person, right? So we grow up in an environment looking at everyone, wondering if what they're saying to us is the truth. Are, are my friends really my friends? Are the people who say they like me, do they really like me? Or are they going to bite me in the back later on? The people that seem like they care about me, are they going to stick around? Are my parents going to stick around? Are, there, are my parents really in love? Right? What, all of this undermines the foundational question of like, what is true? What can I believe in? What can I stand on and be confident? So it's interesting that Jesus says he comes to the earth to bear witness to the truth. And then we, we look at the book of John, which we're going to be studying rapidly this week. So we're going to move really quick. Today we'll be in John 1, but after that you guys, we're going we're gonna to be screaming through it, right? But the book of John, the gospel of John is the fourth book in the New Testament. If you have trouble finding it, you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, or you get to Acts and Romans, then you've gone a little bit too far. John, the writer of that book, actually tells us why he wrote it. And we saw this verse last night as well. In John chapter 20, verse 30, at the end of the book, basically, John says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. He says, I wrote this story. I wrote this narrative of Jesus. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So John goes, hey, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I sat down to write this story of Jesus so that you would believe in him. But 
If you're like me, then back up a couple steps and go, why does John, a guy who lived in the first century, why does he care that I read the story of Jesus and believe it? Like, who, why? Why would he take the time to do it? What difference does it make? Right? John says, I wrote all of this so that you would know Jesus and believe in him. Why does belief matter? Well, he actually gives us some a- answer to that question in the very first chapter. So if you're in the book of John, go all the way back to John chapter 1. This morning, in the time we have, I want to look at the first 18 verses because he sort of sets up the tone for the whole book. Why should we care about Jesus? And we're asking that question at the same time that we're looking for the foundation of, like, what is true? What can we, what can we believe in, right? So here's what John says in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and if your Bible's like mine, the word Word there is capitalized. That's not talking about uh, a thing, it's talking about a person, right? So that's a, that's like a, that's a capitalized word. You, you'll note too, the word is called he in a second. So it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. For what it's worth, in this particular verse, and at the beginning of the book of John, when he talks about the Word, he's referring to Jesus. The, the Greek word there is logos. But what he's saying and what he's trying to articulate to us is that Jesus is, uh, is the speech of God or that Jesus is God's communication. Does that make sense? So he refers to Jesus as God's word, capital W. God's word is Jesus because what Jesus intends to do is to speak to us, to communicate to us, right? So it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So Jesus wasn't just with God, he also was God. It says in verse 2, he, and there, there's where you know that the, uh, the word is not just referring to word as sort of a generic idea, but a specific person. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So he's telling us that Jesus existed at our beginning. At the beginning of human history, Jesus was already there. God's clearest articulation was already in the beginning, not at the beginning, he was in it, right? And it was through Jesus that all things were created and there isn't anything made that includes everything you see in the room. It includes the skin that sits on top of your skeleton, it includes all the people that you know. God, God created all things, Jesus was a part of that. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. It's talking about John the Baptist. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his, that's Jesus, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. 
There's a lot to unpack in that, right? But when we're asking the question, John says, I wrote this book, I wrote the Gospel of John so that you would believe in Jesus. Our next question should be, why? Why bother writing a book so we believe in Jesus? What difference does believing in Jesus make? Well, in these first 18 verses, he gives us some, some great arguments for why we should believe. The first thing he tells us is that Jesus is God, right? That he was with God and that he was God, that he created all things. So that's a pretty good argument. Why should we care about him and believe in him? Because everything we know and everything we are and everything we've ever experienced, all your favorite foods only exist because God created the universe inside the parameters in which it exists. He created it with the potential for science. He created it with the potential for love. He created it with the potential for discovery, right, and adventure. All the things we know and love, God created the earth. So why should we care about him? Well, because he's the originator of everything. But he goes even deeper than that. He says that in this Jesus who created all things was light and life. Well, the implication of saying that in him was light and life is that apart from him, we're in darkness and we're dead. We're in darkness and dead. Now, you might not, you might not necessarily feel that, but I bet you felt moments of it. As long as you've lived and as long as you've been on the earth, I bet you felt moments of just feeling empty and flat. The Bible refers to that sort of emptiness as spiritual death. It's the moments where we recognize that we're, we're cut off from God who is light and life. Moments of confusion. I would say that probably 75% or 80% of all of our frustration in the world comes from the fact that we have limited knowledge. That you don't know what's going to happen this afternoon and neither do I. I definitely don't know what's happening next year. I definitely don't know what's happening in five years. I don't know what sits around the corner. I don't know what's going to happen to my dad. I don't know what's going to happen to my wife. I don't know what's going to happen to my kids. My limited knowledge is frustrating, right? And so what he says here is that in Jesus is light. Well, he's not just saying it's light you know, to sort of you know, be able to see the flowers and the trees. It's illumination. It's the ability for things to be exposed, right? To be able to see clearly. In Jesus was light and life. The opposite of that, and apart from Jesus, is darkness and death. Not only that, not only does he say there's light and life or illumination, but he also talks, jump down to verse 9. After he talks about John the Baptist, he says in verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you're asking the question this morning at the beginning of our week of Hume Lake, why should I believe in Jesus? Well, the second thing John says here, not only that Jesus is light and life, not only that he's the creator of the universe, but why should you believe in Jesus? Because through Jesus, we have the opportunity to be part of a family. That he gives us the ability to become children of God. I don't know anything about your story. I don't know anything about your life. But I'm also guessing that at this stage in your existence, you've experienced some loneliness. That you've experienced some distance with other people. I don't know what your family situation is like. Maybe you have the best parents in the world. But if that's true, you're in the minority. Most people have broken families and broken relationships with siblings and broken relationships with people at school. We experience a lot of brokenness. And so one of the reasons why we should believe in Jesus and care about him is that through Jesus we have the opportunity to be invited into a family, to be adopted, to be children of God. If we understand who he is and we understand what he illuminates, the truth that he brings, right? So it's for illumination. It's for adoption, right? It's to, it's to have a connection with our creator. Keep reading 14 and 15. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Glory is a weird word, and a lot of times when we think about glory in today's day and age, we think about it in terms of like 
somebody had like a glorious slam dunk or I went and saw like a glorious ballet recital or whatever. And it kind of, it gets to a place where it just sort of means like beautiful or awesome maybe. But the idea of glory in the Bible, when it's talking about Jesus, is the idea of awe. That there is something other about God that's greater, that's vaster, that's bigger, that's more powerful. That in, in spite of our limited knowledge, God has all the knowledge. And in spite of our limited power, God has all the power. And what that does when you see someone who is bigger and greater and grander and more glorious is it inspires awe in you. We were built, you and I, from the ground up to worship. That's why we exist, to worship God. And, and what John is saying here is like, hey, we, we walked with Jesus. We shared sandwiches with Jesus. We, we walked the path with him. We saw what he did. And we can tell you, he is full of glory, right? He is full of glory. And he's not just saying that Jesus was fun to be around. What he's saying is that spending time with Jesus gave us a perspective of something bigger than ourselves, something more magnificent than just the humdrum existence we see in everyone else. There is glory revealed in Christ. That's important for us to recognize. And then lastly, in, in, in this same section, he says, glory is, a, is of the Son, the, only of the Father, full of grace and truth. He says in 16, for from his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We're talking about truth this week. Jesus is a revelation of the truth, but notice that when it talks about truth, it couples it with grace. We're going to talk about why that's important in a second. But if I were going to answer the question, why should you care about Jesus? Why should you care about what John has written? Why should you believe in him? Part of it is that John, the original writer, wants us to get our minds around grace. Grace means undeserved, unearned kindness. Undeserved, unearned kindness. When somebody's cool to you even though you don't deserve it. When someone welcomes you and shares with you, even though you've been a punk to them, right? When the cop pulls you over and you were legitimately going 90 miles an hour and he doesn't write you the ticket, right? That's grace. You deserve the ticket and he doesn't give it to you. What John tells us is, I want you to know what grace is, coupled with truth, and the way to understand what unmerited, undeserved favor and kindness is, is to look at Jesus. So why should we care? Well, Jesus is the way in which light and grace, and, and adoption, right? Jesus is the way in which those things are revealed to us. And I love this in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who was at the Father's side, but he, that's Jesus, has made him known. I want you to think about this for a second. No one has seen God. In fact, the Old Testament tells us that if you see God, you die, right? There's examples of that in the Old Testament, right? You see him and you die. So the, the Jewish people, uh, you know, for time immemorial, just always thought, like, nobody's going to ever see God. And so you're just kind of taking your best guess of what he's like. He reveals himself in the scriptures, but you're just doing your best because you can't actually look at him without dying, right? Moses was not able to look at him without dying, right? What this says is no one's ever seen God, but what Jesus came to do, and Jesus says this to Pilate, remember, in John 18, I've come to bear witness to the truth. Well, the truth of what? The truth of God. The truth of God. What is it that Jesus came to do? He has always existed. He was always God. He was there in the beginning of human history, and he entered into our existence. He took on flesh to give us an idea of who God is. I want to just do a, a kind of a little thought experiment with you. I want you to imagine for a second that you, I told you already I'm a video game guy. I, uh, I, I play PlayStation and Xbox and Switch. I play them all. I've been playing video games my whole life. I love video games. We can talk about that later. Uh, right now I'm working on, I just kind of finished Elden Ring. I say kind of finished because I gave up at the Elden Beast. Sorry, I couldn't, I could never do it. But 
Anyway, I'm a video game guy. I want you to imagine for a second that you have like a two-year-old cousin, right? How many of you have like a two-year-old cousin? There's some of you here. Some of you have had a two-year-old cousin before. You will have a two-year-old cousin in the future, maybe. Imagine a two-year-old, and that two-year-old is playing with like a toy truck, or that two-year-old is playing with uh, uh, Legos or whatever. They're they're playing with something very simple and easy for the two-year-old to enjoy. It's their favorite toy, right? And imagine that you, for Christmas, went and bought them a PlayStation 5. You found one for sale, and you went and you bought them a PlayStation 5. 5, the most technologically advanced gaming system on the market. You go out and you buy a PlayStation 5, you spend the money, and you show up on Christmas morning, and you've got it all wrapped up. It's under the tree, and the, the, the toddler cousin of yours opens up the PlayStation 5, and it just looks like a box at first. And you're like, give me your doll, or give me your truck, or give me those Legos. I bought you the most advanced gaming system on the planet, because I love you. You're the cutest little two-year-old ever. Here's your PlayStation. And the kid opens up the box, which at first is not very exciting. And inside the box, another box, a plastic thing, right? It's got cords that go into it. A two-year-old is like, can I please just have my truck, right? Can I please just have my doll? Can I please just have my Legos? Will you please just give me the thing I love? Imagine, this is the thought exercise, imagine trying to explain to your two-year-old cousin why they should give up their Legos and play with your PlayStation instead. Imagine trying to explain how the PlayStation works and what it is and why it's valuable, Can you imagine with the limited language that a two-year-old has, the limited experience that a two-year-old has, the limited worldview that a two-year-old has, can you imagine trying to convince the two-year-old that the PlayStation is a a fair exchange? The two-year-old every time is going to take the truck or the doll or the Legos, right? Because it just doesn't make sense. It's unfathomable to someone in that state of mind. What Jesus comes to do is to articulate to us in simple terms or in a basic understanding an incomprehensible reality. The reality is that God is incomprehensible to us. You and I will never fully understand all of who God is. In fact, the Bible in a later place will talk about the ongoing apprehension of God's love in its height and depth and width and length. That we'll spend the rest of eternity growing in our knowledge of God. But based on our limited experience and based on our limited knowledge and based on the fact that we're finite beings, based on the fact that we exist on a linear timeline, right, that we're born and then we die, there are all kinds of things about our reality that make comprehension of God impossible. But check this out. God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him. He wants you to know who he is. He wants you to value him. He wants you to want the light and the grace and the truth. He wants you to know your creator. And yet the full scope of who he is, we could not comprehend or fathom. So here's what God does. God sends Jesus. No one's ever seen God, it says in John 1.18. No one's ever seen God, but he has made him known. What, What is Jesus doing here? He tells Pilate, I've come to bear witness to the truth. The truth of what? The truth of who God is. The truth of God revealed in Christ. And the great thing about Jesus is we can understand him. We look at him and we get it, right? We get that he is gracious and kind, that he's sacrificial, that he's loving, that he's generous, that he cares about people nobody else cares about, that he goes places nobody else will go, that he looks at religious laws and legalism and he says, you've missed the point of this, right? That he cares about people's hearts, that he cares for the poor, that he cares for the sick, that he cares for the dying. Jesus came to give light and life and grace and adoption. God wants us to know that that's who he is, And while we can't understand the full scope of who God is, Jesus gives us a glimpse. Jesus is a simple explanation 
of an unfathomable reality. Does that make sense? So for us, when we talk about truth this week, let me tell you what, we are talking about Jesus. Again and again and again, we're talking about Jesus. Because if you miss Jesus, you cannot understand the truth. All right? We could talk about Jesus speaking the truth or God speaking the truth. There's all kinds of things in the Bible that say God speaks the truth. Uh, Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? We know God speaks the truth, right? That because of his character, he cannot tell a lie, which is a relief. We don't want to worship a creator who is tricky. That's no good, right? Who's deceitful. God doesn't lie. It says in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 19, God says, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. But it's different than saying just that God speaks the truth or that God tells the truth. We, we believe that Jesus tells the truth, that God tells the truth, right? That says that in the verses we just read. But more importantly, what we believe is that God is the truth. That Jesus is the re revelation of God who is the truth. That Jesus is the truth, right? You see the difference? That's why uh, the verse that Sarah quoted last night in John 14, 6, when Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be crucified and I'm going to go away and you're going to follow me. You're going to be with me eventually. And they go, how are we going to follow you? We don't know where to go. And Jesus says, yeah, you do. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Jesus doesn't say, I tell the truth, or I know the way, or I'm one of the ways. Jesus says, if you know me, you know the way, and you know the truth, and you have the life. That's what it takes, knowing Christ. I remember one time we were taking our family to the, uh, to the Grand Canyon, and they were little, and, uh, and so we told them, you know, it's like a long trip to the Grand Canyon. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Yeah, all right. So it's kind of a long trip, and if you're a little guy, that, that's kind of crazy. This is before iPads or any of that, so a long trip was like a long trip, really. We get to the Grand Canyon, and we get out. We're standing on the side of the Grand Canyon, and uh, my kids are with me. At the time, I just had Jack and Hank, which were my older sons, but Hank was little. He was like three at the time. And we're standing on the, on the lip of the Grand Canyon, right? We're looking at this beautiful, like one of the wonders of the world, and I'm like, isn't it so beautiful? And my little guy, Hank, goes... Where is it? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, it's literally everything you can see. And he's like, I can't see it. And I was like, it's everything in your view. It's all it. Like, that is it. That's the thing. He's like, but where? And I'm like, all of this. You know, like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, I don't see a green cannon anywhere. <laughs> and I realized that he didn't know what grand meant, and he didn't know what a canyon was. And when I had told him we were going to drive three hours to the Grand Canyon, he got excited because he thought we were driving three hours to see a green cannon, which made a ton of sense to a three-year-old, right? And he was really excited about seeing a green cannon. And if you're really excited about seeing a green cannon, you can be standing in front of the Grand Canyon and completely miss it. Does that make sense? If you're excited about the wrong thing or if your definitions are wrong or you can't fathom it or understand it, then you can be excited about the completely wrong thing and you can miss the right thing. I want to ask you as we begin this week if it's possible that some of you have missed the truth of God that is revealed in Christ. Jesus says, this is why I came to the earth. It's why, it's why I entered in. I entered in to be a witness to the truth. I want you to have a stable foundation on which to stand. I want you to have someone you can trust in. I want you to have someone you can hope in. Right? In Hebrews chapter 6, it talks about the fact that we can place our hope in God because he does not change his mind. 
because he does not change. He's true, right? We need that kind of stability. I, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking for all of us. I, you guys, I need that kind of stability. I need to know what I can believe in. I need to know what I can trust in a world of all kinds of shifting things and a lot of people sort of telling me that we're looking at the green cannon and sometimes I feel like I'm missing the Grand Canyon. Jesus comes to be a revelation of the truth of who God is. Not just that he tells the truth, but that he is the truth. And in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, it says this. We know that the Son of God, that's Jesus, has come and has given us understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. There are a lot of different people who are espousing a lot of different kinds of truths, and there are a lot of people who are dirty liars, right? There are a lot of people who are claiming that they have the way because they're trying to put money in their own pocket, or they're trying to increase their power, or they're trying to be able to do whatever they want and subvert the laws. There's all kinds of shifting ideas of what the truth is. I and you, we need something we can believe in. Pilate looked at Jesus and said, what is truth? Not because he specifically didn't believe in Jesus, but because he was sick of living in a world where everybody said that whatever they were doing was the truth thing. And Jesus says to him, no, no, no. I am it. I am the revelation of the truth. That's what I came for. And Pilate doesn't see it. Pilate misses it. You guys, I don't want us to miss it. Are you looking for a foundation you can stand on? Jesus is the truth. Now, let me just say one last thing and I'll be done. The truth is awesome because it transforms everything we see. When you look at Jesus and you understand that he is the truth of God, that he is the revelation of an incomprehensible reality, that Jesus is God's way of explaining a PlayStation to a two-year-old, if you will, right? That Jesus is God's way of helping us to understand who he is in simple terms we can fathom. When you understand that Jesus is the truth, there's a, there's a moment that's really freeing, and you're like, yes, I finally get why I exist. I, exi I, I understand why the earth exists. I understand who God is and what he's like and what he expects of me and why, I, why I'm alive and why I have friends and why, why am I on this planet? Like All those questions kind of fall into place when the light gets shined, right? In the truth, all of a sudden, everything else kind of unlocks. But the reality is true that, that truth can also be exposing, right? The light can also be exposing, and momentarily, it, that can be embarrassing. It can be shameful. I want to say this to you as we begin our week. There are some of you who, as we start to declare the fact that Jesus isn't just a guy who spoke the truth, but that he is the truth, for some of you, when you look at Jesus, you're going to realize that you've been living a life that isn't true. Or you're going to be living a life that contradicts the purpose for which you were created or the purpose for which God created the world. There are going to be moments in all of this where you're going to start to maybe feel embarrassed or ashamed. I want you to understand that in this section in John chapter 1, when it tells us that Jesus is the truth, it also tells us that he's full of truth and grace. And grace. I want you to wrap your arms around the grace of God this week, right? Because when the light starts to shine and it gets embarrassing, you'll be tempted to run. I'll finish with one story. My... Uh, my son Jack was sitting, he was little, he was like mm, three or something, he's sitting in the back seat of our car and we're, we're driving around. I listen to a lot of different kinds of music and some of the music I listen to is very loud and there's not a lot of singing, it's a lot of yelling, right? And so we're riding in the car and my son is in the back in a car seat and uh, my wife goes, what is this music we're listening to? It's terrible. I don't know what it was, it was like mastodon or something, you know, and I was like, this music's not bad, you're just an old lady, right? And so then I turned the music up, I turned the music up and set it down. And uh, we go to the bank, and my wife gets out, she goes to the ATM, and, uh, and when she gets out, my son, I hear this tiny little squeaky voice from the back seat, my son goes, Daddy, Daddy. So I turn the music down, I'm like, yeah, I look at him in the rearview mirror. 
He goes, that wasn't very nice. And I'm like, what? He goes, mommy told you she didn't like the music, and you called her old, and you turned it up. And I was like, yeah, but I was just teasing with mommy. Like, that's what mommies and daddies do. We like to joke. We like to laugh. I'm hilarious, you know, whatever. Like, I'm, I'm like, we're just fooling around, you know, just having fun. And he goes, but daddy, you always tell us we shouldn't tease the people that we love. And so I turned around and I punched him in the face. And I was like, you shut up. No, I didn't. I didn't. I no, here's the thing. I, that's what I wanted to do, right? That's what I wanted to do. Why? Because, because the truth, here it is. The truth is kind of embarrassing sometimes, right? Especially when it's a two-year-old saying it to you. I was embarrassed and ashamed that he called me out, and he was right and I was wrong. So instead of, I didn't, I never punched my kid. Sorry, I shouldn't even make that joke. Uh, <laughs> but I changed the music. My wife gets back in the car. I was like, hey, I'm sorry I was rude. She's like, are you okay? Because I don't apologize very much. And... Uh, I'm like, yeah, everything's fine, right? So the next day is Thanksgiving, and we're sitting around the Thanksgiving table, all our family, aunts and uncles, cousins, we're passing the plates around, and my plate comes around to my mother-in-law, and uh, I love her, but she makes, this, um, she makes this broccoli casserole that she thinks is amazing, and I think is an abomination, right? I don't know, it's the grossest thing, I don't know, it smells like a dirty sock, I have no idea what's in it. But my plate comes around to her, and she goes, hey, Darren, would you like some of my famous broccoli casserole? And I was like, no, it smells like you cooked it in a dead body. And uh, just like this, my two-year-old who's sitting in a high chair, he goes, Dad, remember what we talked about in the car? <laughs> Everybody at the table's like, huh? So then I'm like, um, you know, well, yesterday he told me I should be nicer, and he's right. You know, like, what do, I, what do you say, right? I will tell you that as we talk about Jesus, the truth of God revealed to us in the flesh, there are going to be moments where the truth of who he is is going to make you feel embarrassed. It's going to make you feel ashamed. It's going to make you feel frustrated. And I'm only saying that because I'm right there with you. There are moments where I look at my own life and I compare it to the truth of who he is and I feel embarrassed of who I am. Those are the moments where rather than rejecting the truth of who Christ is, you got to get your arms around his grace. Arms around the fact that he knows you, he knows your mistakes, he knows the things you've done wrong, he knows the things you don't understand, he knows the things you hope nobody else ever finds out about, and he loves you like crazy still. He is full, not just of truth. If we were just full of truth, we would have lots of reasons to be scared. He is not just full of truth, y'all. He's full of grace and truth. And you and I have to get our arms around both of those so we don't give up when it's hard, when it's embarrassing. Because he loves us. It's going to be a fun week looking at the truth of God revealed in Christ. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would, uh, that you would provoke in cabins and in, uh, around picnic tables and out on the grass. You would provoke conversations. That this idea of you, God in the flesh, coming among us to be the light and life, to invite us to be your children. God, that all of these things would be a catalyst for conversation, that the students and leaders in this place would start to grapple with what it means to have our lives organized by the truth of our creator and his intention rather than what anybody calls truth. Help us to see the truth that is revealed in you and thank you for coming to be a witness to what is real. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.